My name's Garen, uh, and I would like to talk today about what happened to our JavaScript phones. I want to start off with a hypothesis, which is that nobody in this room actually has a hacker phone. About five to six years ago, I feel like I could have asked you all this kind of conference if you had some kind of experimental device running Firefox OS or Ubuntu or something, actually like on your person right now, and there would have been a fair amount of hands in the air given the demographic of this conference. But today, I doubt that there are any of those devices actually here in the room, unless you brought them here specifically to troll me. Am I right? I'm assuming that I am. So I think it's fair to say that hacker phones as a concept just kind of disappeared. We all just sort of gave up, and we went back to our iPhones and our Androids. And it wasn't for no reason. We got better cameras, um, faster modems, and greater stability. And these phones seem to get more and more expensive. Like, I can't even fathom how I would have justified paying over a grand or nearly a grand for my first Candy Mar Nokia. But they also become more impressive, and they become more able to replace our real computers. So you could say that they cost more because they help us accomplish more. And they go far beyond what we could have done with hacker phones. Except they don't work like real computers. We're locked into somebody else's vision of this sort of like IKEA office computer that looks pretty convincing, but it's actually quite limited. And you don't, if you don't like the vision that you're offered, you have at maximum one alternative option. And so maybe that's why I'm up here today wondering what happened to the JavaScript phones that were supposed to like blow up this field and put the future of these little computers back into the hands of your average JavaScript developer, the way we kind of grabbed the web back from IE5 and Flash. Interestingly, what happened involves a bit of all the things I just mentioned, the stunning cameras, the connection speeds, the stability of the firmware. And it might seem superficially like this is this triumph of the free market, where the products that won did so because they were simply better products. It's actually more of a triumph of old boys' networks of monopolies, the obtuseness of infrastructure, and good old-fashioned having lots and lots of capital to throw at something so that nobody else can compete on your level. It's not a story of the natural evolution of products to become better. It's the story of capitalism rewarding capitalism. So let's go back those five or six years to when some of us thought it might play out differently. There are a few things I think are relevant to examine from that time that should have culminated in a great JavaScript phone. The interest in PhoneGap slash Cordova and all the related toolkits or tools. The exponential adoption of Node and Nodebots being like the artisan coffee brewing or bread baking or knitting or whatever it is that y'all are into these days of the day. People were searching for ways to make use of their web skills on their phones. They were putting Node everywhere they could think of, and everybody seemed to suddenly have a soldering iron. If that's not a recipe for a JavaScript phone, I don't know what is. Now, some of you are babies, and you won't remember that time. So real quick, let's talk about the details. First, the state of mobile development was really unresolved. 
people were already developing native apps, and they were making quite decent money off them because there just wasn't as much competition. And so naturally, developers who didn't work in the native languages of the platforms wanted a piece of that too, or their employers or clients did. And from there, we got things like PhoneGap. PhoneGap was eventually bought by Adobe and became Cordova. And if that's still not ringing a bell, it was a tool to allow JavaScript developers to write a JavaScript application and then compile it to native code. There was a lot of focus on making normal hosted web apps and websites mobile friendly. There are toolkits such as a mobile version of jQuery UI and emulators and tons of theorizing about responsive design that started appearing out of nowhere to meet the needs of smartphones. You could compare it to the current consensus that we should all be producing accessible websites. Oh, but in this case, we actually went and did something about it. At this point, testing cross-browser had been a pretty significant and limiting piece of work fairly recently. So adding mobile browsers and generated mobile apps to the list of things to check felt pretty natural. And everybody wanted to be on everybody's phone, so we all just did it. That's the front end. On the back end, you have Node, which at this point is still fairly new, or at least is still being treated that way. It's gone through a few years of people insisting it's just merely a novelty, and then people insisting that it'll never have the robustness of Nginx or the developer friendliness of Ruby or the corporate assured reliability of .NET. As far as I know, Express has existed since a few minutes after Node was released, and so people have been using Node as a web server all this time. But even the Node community itself has tried to distance Node from being a web server and from the more general concept of server-side JavaScript. And what I always kind of read is an unfortunate giving in to pressure from Hacker News type people to be more serious. And of course, there's nothing more serious than hardware. So at this time, if you go to a JavaScript conference, you can pretty much assume you're going to see people playing with little circuit boards with blinky lights on them. And somebody's node copter is going to be sitting on the ground, surrounded by a crowd of people like dads at a barbecue, around a classic car up on blocks, gathering speculation about what actually needs to be fixed and how sweet it's going to be when it actually runs. But of course, the hardware itself is just marketing for some pretty interesting new uses for JavaScript, which is now being used to script things that have nothing to do with markup and not even necessarily visual interfaces. And why not? Scripting languages are lovely to work with if introducing the additional layer of abstraction doesn't slow things down massively. JavaScript has been getting faster, more powerful for years at this point. And so the ease of adoption makes it a very attractive interface to code against. And there's one more big thing that's happening at this point in time, which is that there's a JavaScript phone. And at a conference like this, a bunch of people would have had one. We'll talk a little bit about Firefox OS in just a second. But first, you may or may not have noticed that there's still an elephant in this room. Maybe now it's more clear why it seemed like we could have a JavaScript phone, but what made us think that we should? If you're sitting here thinking, yeah, that was a really good idea, why didn't that happen? Why do you think that? Personally, I wondered if today it's too late. I don't know if people still feel this way or if the ship has sailed. Several years ago, though, it was too early to wonder that. Another advantage for Apple and Google kind of sharing a smartphone monopoly is that they've had the privilege of training us all to use their products. If you think back, though, 
people used to have tons of complaints about the phone interfaces. But if your echo chamber is like mine, that sort of grumbling has died down over the recent years. And if anything, maybe you're left with a little sniping back and forth about whether Android or iOS is better. Probably not even that, though. Because we have no or limited opportunity for personalization and for deviation from this sort of single sanctioned set of use cases, there's nothing on our smartphones to really get invested in now. But that didn't used to be true. There are probably even now things on your phone that kind of annoy you, but you found workarounds for them. Like maybe the mail client isn't full-featured enough, or the maps give bad directions, the system preferences seem intentionally hard to set and confusing. I think the big reason that people wanted a JavaScript phone is because several years ago, most serious JavaScript developers still had experience writing interfaces. Even if we weren't designers per se, we felt we could do better. Because phones at that point were like this trash heap of badly functioning operating system and carrier installed apps. And the third party apps that might have improved that situation were treated as super sketchy. I believe people wanted JavaScript phones because they wanted to make the software on their phones live up to the promise of the hardware. So you've been very patient waiting for me to say something about Firefox OS, and now I'm going to say something about Firefox OS. Mozilla had a project called Boot to Gecko that was meant to give us all JavaScript phones, and people were really excited about it. Mozilla was probably the only company that could have pulled this off being a huge company that nonetheless maintained a pretty open back and forth with the web community as a whole, and isn't the same sort of growth-focused business that Apple and Google are. In fact, Mozilla was planning to sell a $25 phone. The plan was to bring the power of smartphones to everyone by using the power of web technologies. So that's clearly not happened. To understand why, we need to talk a bit about hardware and what goes on inside these little machines. Your phone is a tiny little computer, but it's also kind of not. It contains a lot of the same pieces as the computers that you work with, the processor, modem, sound, and graphics cards, but they're in a different format. From the early days, personal computers were hobbyist-friendly devices, and it wasn't at all unusual to like, order all the parts for your computer like via mail um, and build it yourself to have your own machine. Even big brand desktop machines, as recently as the dawn of widely available cell phones, were things you kind of expected to customize. But that's never been the case with phones. Handheld devices have always been largely single units that weren't intended to be customized, let alone built from spare parts. But today, you can still get an Esprino and a GSM shield, and you can make something similar to a phone. But you'll still be a very long way off from anything that would fit the universal definition of mobile phone. Similarly, you can sit at your computer and do pretty much everything your phone does just using different networks, but we still don't recognize your computer as a phone. The size is a big part of what makes a phone a phone, but the size is only important because it offers portability. And portability is only useful if you can connect to a cell network. This ends up limiting who can make hardware for phones, because the protocols needed to negotiate a connection with a cell phone tower are only licensed to carriers. It's not quite as exclusive as it might sound. Even the carriers who have their own communications infrastructure will regularly rent space on other networks for the client's communications. 
but it's another hurdle for anyone who wants to start making phones. This hardware needs to be certified by the individual carriers that it's going to connect to, and then it also needs to be approved by the relevant governing bodies in whatever countries it'll be used in, for example, the FCC in the United States. And none of the hardware in the phone exists in isolation. So if you love writing integration tests and stress tests, you could probably spend a lifetime being entertained by the process of getting hardware certified. On the other hand, if you have some sort of different agenda, like actually releasing something, just passing tests and getting certifications could kind of end up being a lot. And this is where, as JavaScript developers, who as likely as not have a front-end web background, we're in unfamiliar territory that may seem a little hostile. Because the regulations around telecommunications are strict. If a connection drops because of something to do with hardware that you're trying to distribute, you can't just like, throw up an error page with a cheeky GIF and ask people to reload. Like, who would you even ask? The end user, the modem, the operating system? The phone's tight integration means that if your hardware fucks up, you have to notify every component involved. And if your hardware is fucking up and making someone else's component look bad, guess what? There goes your certification from that manufacturer. So say you're building a cell phone. And as an analogy, consider on the one hand writing an application with a bunch of micro frameworks, or on the other using an all-in-one framework that makes every decision for you. You might be attracted to using micro frameworks because you can get the best tool for every job and nothing you don't need. But there's overhead associated with making all the, sure that all the micro frameworks cooperate together. Eventually, especially if every new micro framework you NPM installed required you to pay fees and be recertified by multiple bodies, you might decide to say fuck it and use the monolith. Your phone's what's called a system on a chip with a nice smooth cover on one side and a big high resolution screen on the other. Everything it does is part of the same piece of hardware. Even the antenna is cleverly designed to meander through the phone's specific guts so that it's as long as possible and takes up all the available space left by the geography of the chip. There's no market where you can go and buy the most high-end pieces of the system on a chip in your phone. The iPhone's chip is designed specifically by Apple and produced exclusively for them. You can't get those parts. A company like Fairphone can't get those parts, and Mozilla couldn't get those parts. So when companies produce a phone, they produce the whole thing, start to finish, chips to apps. And so anyone who wants to come along and make a JavaScript phone would have to have the same variety of skills and large piles of currency that Apple and Google have at their disposal to make something comparable to an Android or an iPhone. And of course, not everyone gives a shit about having the highest re resolution camera or even the fastest LTE modem. There are more feature phones available now than there were a few years ago some using something like KOS, which is based on Firefox OS, and some like the Nokia reboots using old-school hardware manufacturer operating systems. So if lots of people can come and build a feature phone, how come Mozilla couldn't build a $25 smartphone with a slightly shittier camera? The answer, which you probably already knew, is that they could have. Mozilla could have bet the whole company on the high-stakes process of becoming a carrier so that they could produce their own hardware and give the world lovely $25 JavaScript phones. According to people who worked on the project, they nearly did that anyway. Rather than throw everything behind becoming a carrier, they looked for carrier partners who would certify Firefox OS. Like I just said, though, becoming a carrier is time-consuming and expensive. 
So those partners wanted assurance that there'd be lots of profits in it for them. And they could load the phone down with all their carrier-installed apps, and they get various market advantages. And like, if you're this web standards-loving, JavaScript-pushing company who just wants to give the world $25 phones, like, that's not what you're about. Are there companies that could probably afford to be the carrier that Mozilla needed just as an act of goodwill to the web community? Yeah. And do the same people who'd benefit from such a phone give the same carriers many thousands of dollars out of a sense that their profession requires them to own the latest tech? Definitely. But is there an incentive for those carriers to back a competitor who break up their monopolies? No. That's business, and that's what happened to your JavaScript phone. Sorry to be depressing. So now what? You're still sitting here desperately wishing you had a JavaScript phone. There are a few things you can do. Which you would choose depends on what a phone actually is to you. For example, most people probably define a phone as something you make and receive calls on, right? But who in this room uses up all their voice minutes every month? I don't think a lot of people in the world do. So you could build your own voice, an SMS phone with hobbyist hardware, you could wipe the firmware on your smartphone and put a more hackable operating system on it. You could work through approved channels and write JavaScript apps that improve on the things you don't like. Or you could rebel. To be honest, I avoid working with hardware because it's a little fiddly for me. But I've spoken to colleagues and peers about this, and it turns out there are a few nifty little chips that you can use to do traditional phone stuff. And they expose a scriptable interface you could control with JavaScript. I work for a company called Nexmo that provides an API to do exactly this kind of communications development, so I feel pretty confident it's possible. You could also just put together a piece of hardware that works like a MiFi and use an API like Nexmo's to do your telephony via voice over IP, not worrying about carriers and cell phone towers and all of that. And in theory, you can keep going. You could add a nice screen and a graphics chip, a speaker and a mic, a powerful antenna, and you'd probably end up with a pretty large thing not one that matched the power, quality, or size of commercial smartphones. But you could, you could tick all the boxes. Then you'd only have to write the firmware for that so that it functioned together seamlessly and automatically, and you didn't have to like, start an app and click a button to connect to the nearest cell phone tower whenever you 20 feet. By the year 2154, your great-grandchildren might be able to finish the work that you'd started and have a working 2019-era smartphone. So is that the real way forward? Maybe. There are projects like the light phone that make for an interesting argument that the ability to have appealing hardware once you scale back functionality is a good trade-off. So maybe a community-driven JavaScript phone starts somewhere simple like that, rather than try and compete with smartphones out of the gate. And it builds on the hardware and firmware iteratively. Developers as a whole don't have a great reputation for patience, humility, and teamwork, so maybe we better not hold our breath for a community-led evolution of tele telephony hobbyist chips. You might not have a lot of friends running custom firmware on their commercial smartphone hardware these days, but the projects still exist. And if you have various different versions of Android, you can replace the operating system with something you like better. 
This is another option I can't speak to from personal experience. Um, like, like many people, I experimented with Linux in college, and it's interesting that the hellscape of finding drivers for the perfectly nice hardware I already owned and wanted my operating system to use then is the same one I'd find myself in if I installed some version of Linux on my perfectly nice modern Android and basically gave up on using the camera or maps ever again. The risk in flashing your phone is that the very nice hardware that lets the manufacturer maintain their monopoly is operated by an equally nice proprietary driver. If any operating system under the sun could just use those drivers, it would end up a pretty shit monopoly. The things in your phone that have access to the system typically get signed by code that lives in a special secure area of the phone, which is its own processor and memory sealed off from the rest of the phone. If you wipe your phone, you lose access to that area which you could see as a helpful way of stopping ne'er-do-wells from taking over your phone and making it take pictures of you mining their bitcoins, or a cynical way of protecting intellectual property. Probably it's both. Whether good, bad, or neutral, though, this security is going to fuck up your phone if you flash it. And a lot of people learned that the hard way a few years ago, and that's probably why people don't do it as much anymore. There are probably plenty of people in this room who I've barely addressed at all, that being those of you who actually write apps intended to be used on smartphones. To be clear, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Does it accomplish the goal of providing nicer alternatives to the apps the phone comes with? It absolutely does. You can make those apps, you can't make those apps automatic, and in some cases, you'll have to convince people not only to like install your mail client, but then to move the non-removable default to a back screen somewhere so they don't accidentally click on it. But if you can write compelling enough software, then it works. If you want JavaScript functionality on your phone, the least risky, most effective route by far is to write apps. It doesn't look much like the revolution we were promised, though, does it? There's one final thing I want to say, and for that I have to ask you to even further indulge my nostalgia and selective memory as we go back 15 to 20 years. This was around the time of the web standards movement, which you may remember as a lot of arguing about CSS versus tables or something to do with XHTML. Really, though, if you were doing much web development around that time, you'll know it was a period where developers like us argued over and over for taking the more difficult, more expensive, and less reliable path of throwing out perfectly good existing products to sign on to still very theoretical open standards and turn our backs on the powerful, established, proprietary languages like ActionScript that worked great. Everyday folks using the web were not clamoring for us to break all their fucking web pages. That push came from developers like us. I kind of think, though much, much of the evidence suggests that it'll never happen, that a similar rebellion is coming from mobile phones. And I don't know exactly what that would look like or if it has anything to do with JavaScript. But I think it has something to do with the fatigue that's expressed by people intentionally trading in their smartphones for feature phones. If the world is deciding that maybe they don't literally need a $1,000 smartphone in their pocket just to take pictures and send the occasional text, maybe a truly open alternative has a chance to compete. If people switch to feature phones and they don't use as much data and they have to do all their texting via T9 so they don't do that as much either, maybe they don't want to pay for bloated package contracts with carriers and so the carrier's power comes under threat. And maybe then, the hardware monopolies fragment as companies have to find a way to serve a wider variety of interests. I mean, it's a lot of maybes, but 
Even the tools that are closed and locked in now sort of began with people working together on protocols, electronics, and computer science in public. And if you lock people into a monoculture where the most exciting innovation you can offer them is removing their headphone jacks, I think they'll eventually start innovating in other directions to find a way out of it. And I think a JavaScript phone might still be out there. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.